On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we travel back in time to the 1990s and sit front row as a narcissist stumbles through love and rejection in high fidelity. And we ask the question, have we found a character more unlikable than the Devil Wears Prada novel version of Andy Sachs? And where do they rank in our top five worst characters? Also, when did women set the bar so low? Welcome back, everybody. We are celebrating Jackie's birthday, her actual birthday. We made it. It's her birthday of a certain age. (sighs) We're about to jump into her weird crush, who is John Cusack in the screen adaptation of High Fidelity. But first, if you haven't already, please like, follow, share, rate, leave a review, send us a carrier pigeon, whatever. No, please don't. No, please do not send us a carrier pigeon at all. Ever. Ever. All the carrier pigeons. No, I will get my shotgun out and I will shoot them. Wow. Our F-bombs, and shall I say all of our F-bombs, our twat bombs, our cunt bombs (laughs) are going to be dedicated to Mr. Jules this week because we're in the land of Brit and he is our Brit with the wit. Yeah. So all of these are for you, Jules. Emphasis on Mr. Jules. Because Mr. Jules. Because some email traffic at work. Somebody Ms. Jules. Ms. Jules. <laughs> a Ms. Jules. A Ms. Stan- Actually, you know yeah. what? We're not gonna assume anyone's gender, so whatever, Ms. Mr. It's Jules, the Brit. The Brit with the wit. All right, Jackie, are we ready to talk about what we're drinking? Uh, yes. I would also like to say with Jules, the the person, since we're not going with gender norms. Yep, um, just person. The person with the best dad jokes or person jokes. Yeah, I parent, think. Uh, parent jokes. Be, yeah. Parent jokes, dad jokes, bad jokes. Um, it's something about being a Brit. They just, they it's their timing. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. They got good timing. And he also has good shirt style. Oh, I love his shirts. It's, the prints on his shirts are, nobody else could pull them off. Yeah. That must also be a Brit thing. Yeah. All right. What are we drinking? Uh, I am drinking Fuller's London Pride Beer. It is a an outstanding, according to the box, amber ale. Um, but it is from England because the- I thought you said it was a red ale. Amber Amber, red, whatever. Oh. No, the the Earlier the grateful drunk, the red. grateful red that Nick brought brought me. Oh, it's Dothan different. Got it. Okay. Uh, but the Jackie's drank a lot today already. Um, it's my birthday. We're getting our boozes mixed it's up. It's my birthday weekend. I've had uh, some Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager, quite a mm-hmm. bit of that actually, because I had two of the talls mm-hmm. at Jimbo's, and then uh, James. Another shout out to James. He Hey James, what's up? Yeah. Bro? He gave me a, a birthday shot because it is my birthday. And and what shot was uh, that? Was it, Tell them. Uh, per my husband's choice, thank you, Nicholas. Uh it was a kamikaze, which Mel considered a full size drink. Yeah, it was not a shot. If anyone knows what a shot is, it's about an ounce ish, maybe more. Um, this was just in a tumbler. Mm-hmm. This was a full ass, grown ass man cup that Jackie shot back like a pro. And I was in utter shock. I clutched my pearls. I am a pro. Um, so I've had the two 
Devil's Backbone Vienna Lagers. I've had the Kamikaze. I've had three now of the Fuller's London Pride Amber Ale. And I've had one of the Folklore from lovely Dothan, Alabama Red Ales. But in honor of this episode, I chose the Fuller's London Pride because it is from England. It has London in the name. That is where the book is set. And I'm going with that. It show is. Yep. All right, uh, Jackie and I had brunch this morning. I did have a mimosa, and um, I don't know if we talked about this, but our last brunch escapades with my melmosas, uh, it didn't end very well that evening after we recorded, and my body is still rejecting <laughs> the mimosa, so I had not even a full yeah, one. Yeah, you were nursing that know, thing. <laughs> yeah, I know James was just full on judging me, but my body could not do it. So I I tried, I tried the brunch mimosas. Um, I'm clearly a bitch. And now I'm again, drinking a purple people eater. If you've heard the last episode, because we still have those raspberry Smirnoffs that, uh, I'm not drinking on my own. If there's not a reason to drink them, they're going to, and I don't want them sitting in the fridge anymore. So Steven made me another purple people eater. I'm doing that. He also sent it up in this big ass glass. He made it for me, but he poured the vodka on top and he didn't mix it. So when I took my first drink, it was just nothing but Tito's. Oh, amazing. And I was like, (gasps) if we want to say Uh, it's in honor of the episode, you can say it's because of Charlie's character, because I think that she would be the type to drink that and talk about it nonstop. Yeah, it's a pretentious drink, and uh, Charlie's pretentious. I also think this whole concept of this story is pretentious. So, I uh, yeah, it's it's underground. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Nobody else is doing it. I'm a hipster. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's talk about our drinking game, guys. Oh, good one. lord! I could fucking open it. Yeah, I'm opening it right now. My god, we're prepared. Don't worry. <clears throat> uh. Okay. Yeah, this this drinking I got yeah, this drinking game is from a website called drunkenme.com. Mm. We've got yeah, yeah. They're they're mm. good for the drinking games. Somebody's put a lot of work into these. Yeah, and I will say this is this is pretty close to Devil Wears Prada level. If not yeah, surpassing is, um, it. Yeah, we didn't have a content warning for this episode because it's just pretty straightforward. There's nothing crazy. Uh, but I will say we have a drinking warning. Again, we're going to get into these rules. Maybe pick a couple. Maybe don't do it at all. It, this is going to get you fucked up. Mm-hmm. Hi, Ju- Hospital level. Hi, Jules. Hi, Jules. Jules going to get... Wait, it's, you're going to get um, pissed? Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Jules and I spent a whole like morning one time just talking about all the British slang for getting drunk. Basically, you can use any word and it, you can use it as getting drunk. Mm-hmm. So pissed. You're going to get pissed. I'm a big whatever. fan of that, though. Pissed? Yeah, I like it. You, they, but the you will get... You have a better handle on the language than we do. Yeah, so. you will get epically pissed if you play this drinking pissed. game. Pissed. Pisser. Take the piss out. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so, okay. Let's just talk about these rules. Rule one, anytime a musician or band is talked about. All the time. Rule two, all the time. Uh, Cassette tapes are talked about or seen. That's all they do is they're making mixtapes throughout the movie and the book. So, I mean, you could drink while you're reading the book. Same thing. Phone call is made or received by anyone. 
That is. There's a lot of phone calling mm-hmm. going on, which is strange because considering there's no cell phones, the amount of time that they spend on the phone well, is, they, is quite they impressive. Couldn't, they couldn't text. So yeah, no. Oh, that's right. You know what that is it mm-hmm. because they, you got to pick it up and call. There's no text. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody says top five. A lot. I honestly think if you were to read the book, you're going to get more fucked up with this rule. Yeah. Because they're always, I, we'll talk about them in, but how many lists they have. I'm like, enough. Okay. Whenever Barry insults anyone's taste, all the time. Actually, anytime Barry is actively talking, yeah. it's insulting someone's Not taste. Not singing, okay. just talking. Talking, yeah. Whenever Rob directly addresses the camera, so when he's breaking the fourth wall. All the time. A cigarette is smoked by Rob. He is a chain-smoking cynic, like our uh, Andy Sachs from The Devil Wears Prada, our first episode. The book version, that is. Not the <laughs> lovable sweetheart, uh, Anne Hathaway. And then finally, Rob stands out in the rain. Which that only happens I, a couple times. Maybe. Yeah, that one, if, yeah. if you pick that one, you're going to be maybe buzzed by the end. But then, at the end, it says, add a rule. And it opens a form for you to add. So this is a growing dynamic drinking game. I don't like it. So by the time you get to it, uh, there might be more rules. I don't like it. So have fun. Be safe. And uh, it's not our fault if you get alcohol poisoning. Yeah. We don't uh, promote the drinking games, but it is your choice as an adult. Even though we are promoting. (laughs) It is your choice as an adult to partake of the drinking game. Yes, adult meaning 21 or over if you are in the United Mm -hmm. States. Elsewhere, I believe it's if you can see over the bar. Let us now talk about who read what, who watched what first, because that is the premise of this. Jackie and I pick an adaptation, and we swap who does the reading first and who does the watching first, and then we compare to see if it affected our take on the movie or the book. So I uh, I watched the movie first. I've never seen this movie before and I've never read it. It is Jackie's birthday month. It's her weird dad bod crush on John Cusack. So she picked high fidelity. <laughs> yeah, she picked high fidelity. We were watching the movie, not the new, because there is a brand new uh, Hulu, Hulu original series. And actually why I know that is because I have the stupid sticker on my book. I hate yeah. that. But anyway, so... There is a new Hulu series, but we're talking about the the movie. I watched it on HBO Max. I did not buy it on Apple. This is one of those where I was like, I'm going to spend an extra 30 seconds to see if I can watch it for free somewhere. <laughs> and I did. And I'm glad I did. And then I read a paperback because, you know, I love a good paperback or hardcover. But this is paperback. Um, I got it off Amazon. It has a stupid uh, sticker on it saying that there's a Hulu series. And then there's a bunch of extra shit in it. There's a lot of extra shit talking about this author, and I just don't care. Um, and uh, yeah, when else is published? 1995, originally. Yeah, so this is the original copyright for 1995, and this was published, and uh, I guess we don't care. Mm-hmm. 1995, too. Whenever it was published, there's a whole bunch of different copies. Anyway, it's the red cover with the broken record, if anyone cares. Uh, I don't think you do. But anyway, yep, Jackie. I read Kindle version, obviously, published 1995, Penguin Random House. I ended up with the stupid digital copy version with the uh, Hulu series cover with uh, Zoe mm. uh, Kravitz on the front. Ew. Yeah. Ew. 
No offense, Zoe Kravitz, but I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. If if you guys don't know, Mel and I absolutely despise movie tie-in covers. We hate them. Yeah, Uh, they're the worst. I will go out of my way usually to find a cover that does not involve the adaptation at all. Yeah, also, my my imagination can do better. I don't want models or maybe some fan art is fine. Mm -hmm. That's because you can suspend reality, but... I don't want to see a real ass person on a book cover. Yeah. Please yeah. don't. Publishing companies out there and authors, stop. We don't like it. Nobody actually likes it. Sorry, soapbox away. <laughs> I don't think the soapbox is going to come out too much on this one. Mansfield Park was maybe epic, a little, but yeah, my feminist soapbox might come out, which I didn't even know I had, but it, it just it just like creeped out, and I was like, oh, I have a feminist soapbox. I might as well stand on it. Yeah, they're labeled. So that might come yeah, out. They're labeled. Yeah. Yeah. Each one has a different purpose. <laughs> and I watched on Amazon. Oh, like Amazon Prime? Yeah. Was it there too? Yeah. Okay. Not free. I had to pay for it. Oh. Yeah. You should have told me. I would have gave you my HBO Max. Well, I might need that login. for Mystery May because we got rid of okay. our, our HBO Max login was tied to our YouTube TV. And we canceled yeah. that because we're moving. Oh. Um. Yeah. But... I doubt HBO is listening to this, so yeah, this is, you know, (laughs) we don't give a fuck. No, no. Anyway, let's talk about this story. Uh, Jackie, why don't you go ahead and give us a summary of High Fidelity? Okay, it's a novel by British author Nick Hornby. It was first published in 1995. It has sold over 1 million copies. And was later adapted into a feature film in 2000, which is the one that we're going to talk about. They also made a musical about it. That's very weird. And a TV series, which we're also going to talk about. Uh, In 2003, the novel was listed on the BBC survey, The Big Read. Yeah. Whatever that is. Uh, But it's about Rob Fleming. And I want to emphasize the Fleming part of his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And his breakups, top five lists, and music. So, essentially, he get he breaks up with, or his girlfriend breaks up with him, rather. And he has somewhat of an existential crisis. And he goes back into the history of the women that he'd been with, he's been with. And the biggest theme in the book is the top five list. So, he mm-hmm. thinks about his top five breakups. And he goes back and he tries to figure out what he did wrong in those top five breakups uh, that could have possibly impacted his breakup with Laura. Yeah. And uh, just so we, we all understand, uh, we're just going to jump the gun here. Apparently none of it is his fault. According to him. Yeah. This is where my feminist soapbox starts to like, it's nudging me right now. I'm like, wait your turn. I'm I'm about (laughs) to stand on it. Okay. The movie was released in 2000. The estimated budget was thirty million. Thirty million. Ooh. That's a lot. For that in Chicago? Yes, but get this. Okay. Opening weekend US and Canada, it made under six point five million. And then not shocking. Gross worldwide, forty seven million. Barely making a profit. Yeah, this movie did not do well at all. Um, it is considered 
a uh, where did it go? It's a romance comedy drama. Like they threw everything in here, and I'm like, how? Yeah, comedy drama and music. music I music, think romance. on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, it is rated R, and it is rated R for language and some sexuality. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. You know what's strange is this is rated R, but I think the scenes and depictions in Mansfield Park were more graphic than that were in this. There was a lot more noise in this one. Like when he's having the fantasy dream thing about Laura and Ian, he, it's, it's there. But noise is going to make it a rated R? I, I don't know. That's odd. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research on this because that's weird. I think I think the rated R has more to do with the language. Oh than yeah, it does okay, the actual right. sexuality because there's some bad. They language. say fuck. They say fuck a lot. They do. They do. And could you imagine if it was actually set in England? It would be ten times worse. They'd be saying yeah. c words and yeah. t words and f words. It would just be all over the place. Yep. And F word is just because and, we silly Americans don't understand that they use the word fag for smoke. Yeah. So it'd just yeah. be that. And then everyone, somebody out there who's super woke would get upset. So what you're saying is it would be 10 times more entertaining. Yes, absolutely. If, if Benedict Cumberbatch had played Rob. Dude, if C- Benedict Cumberbatch played Rob, I, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I wouldn't before I even got to see it. Ten out of ten, hands down. The things I Best. would do to that man, and I could not tell you why. Yeah, I feel like he's probably got a big dick. Well, when I was thinking about casting for this movie, and I know you watched the movie first, so I, no, I watched the movie. No, no, yeah, I watched did. it, Jackie. Oh. I watched it first. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to keep her in line. Too many beers. No, when I was thinking about casting, uh, and I know that was your kind of lane this week, I was thinking Benedict Cumberbatch probably would have been a really, really good Rob Fleming. You know who else would have been a good Rob Fleming? Um, What's Hmm. his nuts who played Edmund? Oh, Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, I think he would have been a good. Actually, any British fucker you put up there, I think would have been just fine. Hmm. Okay, maybe not that far. Like Idris Elba wouldn't do it, but okay. Why don't we go ahead and get into, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's actually, you know what? Let's talk about the reviews first before we get into, cause clearly we have a lot to say about casting and the characters. Yeah. Um, but Jackie read, uh, she read first, so she's going to go over the book reviews and there's a, there's a hidden gem. In these oh, yeah. It's great. When I saw it, I just lit up. <laughs> so on Goodreads user reviews, we had 3.92 out of 5 average. Ratings without the actual written reviews was uh, 186,569 ratings. And then reviews, actual like content in text was 6,627. Oh. The vast majority... At 41% are going to be four out of five stars. So people generally like this book uh, of four out of five because that was the biggest group of ratings that I found. Mm-hmm. It said four out of five, top five reasons to read this book. So somebody thought they were being clever 
they took the book. They wanted to review it. And they're like, top five reasons. We're going to go with five, a a top five list. Go Uh, (laughs) fuck yourself. Number one, offers multiple opportunities to fall off your chair laughing, which I do not agree with because Mm -hmm. at no point during reading this book did I find myself falling off my chair laughing. I may have chuckled. That's as much as you're going to know. Yeah, here. but I'm not I'm not causing myself physical harm because yeah, something I'm not is so throwing funny. myself. Out. Actually, it, it's also probably cuz it's really hard to get out of my cloud love sack. So if I were to fall over, I'd just fall back into the cloud. So it might be just a infrastructure thing I have going on here. Well, even if I had fallen off the bed because that's where I read, it's <laughs> a queen-size bed with a box spring and there's a nightstand right next to me. I would have hit my head on that and mm. God knows what what would have happened. Uh, number anyway. two, <laughs> draws entirely convincing characters making stupid decisions and dealing with the repercussions. I um, will agree with the characters making stupid decisions, but not necessarily with dealing with the repercussions because everybody in that book just makes excuses for themselves. Yeah, we're gonna uh, number that. three, <laughs> reminds you of all sorts of artists you must check out further. No desire at all on my part. Wait, say that again. What is it? Reminds you of all sorts of artists you must check out further. I honestly could not tell you. Solomon Burke is the only one I remember, and that's just because I like him. But the re- I mean, maybe Marvin Gaye. They they mentioned Marvin Gaye, Otis Redding, Aretha Franklin, and yeah, all like kinds all the of other artists and stuff like that. But I okay, yeah. If I feel like listening to Aretha Franklin, I'm gonna look yeah. It but up the on obscure iTunes, ones, but, the weird ones, they yeah. Went to, I don't remember any of them. I also don't yep. care. Number four answers the what if questions of past relationships with horrifying clarity. No, because the what if questions are going to be very situation like focused. This person has the life experience. That's what we're getting at. Yeah. Number five satirizes, but ultimately validates top five lists. Again, no, because top five lists. uh, No, just going to (laughs) say no. Another four out of five. While this wouldn't get near my top five reads this year, it's the best novel I'll ever read featuring top fives. I did not list the whole review on that because it was very long, but that essentially summarizes what that person wanted to say. That's so stupid. Is there a category at Barnes & Noble for books featuring top five lists? No. So why? I would bet money on that. I'm going to go with no. Okay. Okay, I'm going to skip the next one because I'm going to go to my one out of five because the next one is our little hidden gem. But the one out of five, it said Nick Hornby writes about losers and makes them lovable. But not this time. uh, But not this time. (laughs) Okay, okay, I respect that. I couldn't stand the self-pitying little git. His loser wanker record store buddies or their This is a Brit writing this. Oh, yeah, totally. Or their ridiculous fracking lists. Reading this book felt like being trapped in an elevator with the pathetic Scrubs douchebag. Zachy McWinerson, (laughs) it's Zach Braff, by the way. Uh, Or whatever his fracking name is for an entire weekend. You know the type. The constant puppy need for the approval of every critter on the planet all the time. It might seem like a charming vulnerability, but don't be fooled. It actually signals a pathological narcissist who's... Thank you. 
solipsism? I don't know. I think it's a mistake. And incessant needlessness, uh, neediness will bleed you dry. I Thank know, you. I know. Many fine books have been written about unlikable characters. Anyway, it's about the character's emotional growth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All true, but when you find the central character so annoying that just reading about him makes you twitch, it's probably time to switch to another book. Your mileage may vary. For all I know, you're the kind of person who watches marathon, quote, scrubs reruns, which I'm going to say right now, I did enjoy that show for the first few seasons, Mm. not because of Zach Braff's character, because of Dr. Cox's character, because he is so incredibly cynical and harsh. Whatever makes you sleep at night. Oh, whatever. If so, you'll probably love this book. So clearly that British individual did not enjoy the book. I should go back and look at the picture and see if it's Jules. (laughs) Yeah. And our final review, our final epic, like masterpiece review. Oh my God. It is a two out of five. It is written by our very own Mel B. (laughs) And she writes, is the writing good? Sure. Is the story tolerable? Okay. Is it kind of funny? Yeah. But to appreciate all of that, you have to ignore how unlikable the main character is. So Mel agrees with our British friend. I'm a Brit at heart. Yeah. I'm an Anglophile (laughs) to the core. Uh, sure. Okay. This is supposed to be a comical raw telling of the typical man, though in reality, it just showcases a pessimistic narcissist who can literally not take an ounce of responsibility for anything bad that happens in their life. Sure. There's a happy ending, but it's the kind of, well, what else is there? A guy's how to guide to gaslighting an exhausting, successful, independent women. Into settling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wrote this in in frustration yesterday on my phone. So it's one of those that's like that we typically make fun of. (laughs) There might be words or letters missing. But yes, I did. That was was not that was our own Mel B's takes on. uh, uh, I finished the book last night and just like threw it down. It was actually a finishing where I was like, "Oh, it's over," and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to write a review." Some of these I don't write the reviews on Goodreads just so. You know, I don't put it out there before we do the podcast, but I was like, fuck it. And then Jackie went ahead because she follows me on Goodreads and she stole it and used it. I saw it. It was the first thing that I saw. And I'm like, it's going in there. It has to. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's get into the movie reviews. So the movie on IMDb, and this is user reviews not critics because remember we we don't care what any of them have to say at all out of 700 oh no sorry not that many 178,000 reviews it's a 7.5 out of 10 8 out of 10 got the highest at 30.4 percent 1 out of 10 is at 0.8 and 10 out of 10 is 10.9 hmm. so this is, it is relatively high for this movie but it's weird because there's there are a lot of bad reviews on it mm-hmm. like the people who didn't like it wrote more of the reviews than the people that liked it but the overall ratings people just gave it 10 8 7 whatever first one is a one out of 10 <laughs> miserable and irritating film <laughs> 
This is an awful film that doesn't have any likable characters. It was misleadingly marketed as a fun, happy rom-com. It's actually a really bad drama. John Cusack plays an annoying, miserable record shop owner who incessantly goes on and on about his personal top five of this, that, and the other. Jack Black, as usual, plays an insufferable, juvenile, overbearing, arrogant, hyperactive nuisance. But we will get into the fact that that is actually the character. Yeah. This character was written for Jack Black, I think. Yeah. Next one. Five out of ten. Self-indulged nonsense. This has got to be one of the most annoying movies I've seen. It deals with a whining John Cusack complaining about all of his past relationships with girls and how they didn't work. Who really cares? For those of us who can't even find relationships, this movie is terrible. That is so sad. (laughs) That is so sad. At least you have a girlfriend. (laughs) Okay. This movie made me dislike John Cusack, who I liked in Gross Point Blank, and being John uh, and being John Malkovich. I guess the problem is that I can't really relate to his problems. And if you can't, there is really nothing for you in this movie. One redeeming factor was the few scenes Jack Black was in. He was kind of funny. Overall, this movie really stunk. And then he writes two out of ten. But you gave but it, it a five really, out of ten. Yeah. He was rated five out of 10, but he's like, "Mm." actually, by the time he got done to it, he was like two. And then they were just too tired and didn't feel like going back and changing their star rating. So So, for this, this particular review, uh, they are clearly a John Cusack fan Mm -hmm. and, or going into this movie, they were, and they're rating their like of John Cusack based on the movies that he's in, which they mm-hmm. mentioned Gross Point Blank, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that movie. And I, they're they're clearly not as forgiving as I am. No. They were like, you did this and I hate it. I'm not going to give you credit for being so good an actor that the characters of the character you're, or the characteristics of the character you're playing, I'm going to give you credit for that. No, no, no. You are playing this character, so I hate you too. Yeah. And everything you've ever been in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 10 out of 10. A life in song. Go fuck yourself. No. I don't think this movie could be any more 90s if it tried, despite being made in 2000. So here's the thing. You do understand that it was released in 2000, meaning the majority of the production time was in the 90s. Yeah. Anyway. But... <laughs> That is not a bad thing. It's not aged. It's timelessly brilliant. This movie is wonderful. John Cusack is wonderful. Even Jack Black is wonderful. And a lot of it comes from the source material. The book by Nick Hornby is incredible, and it translates to film very well. The soundtrack is incredible. John Cusack talking to the camera is brilliant. The f- the whole thing is just wonderful. We got it, dude. It's they uh, it's really wonderful. like that that word, and they need to it's look w- up synonyms in in. Yeah, they Microsoft usually get to right click in thesaurus. Um, mm-hmm. Wonderful and incredible. Okay, you don't see films like this just wait. You don't see films like this just fourteen years later. What? What? Okay, as you can see, I'm not very good at reviews, but I wanted to share my many teeny thoughts about how incredible this film is. What happened 14 years ago? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's what I want to know. Or you, or maybe he wrote this in 2014 and he just, wa- I don't know. 
I didn't I know. I, 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 I want to know what is significant about 14 years. There, there are other movies where characters break the fourth wall. Yeah. A lot. It's not that original. No. Shakespeare did it. Yeah. <laughs> Routinely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Now, there's a lot of, we talked a lot about characters in the beginning. There's a lot of talk about characters in these reviews. It's a very character-driven story. I wouldn't even say it's even plot-driven because it's just one thing happens and then it's the character dealing with it and all the other characters around it. So it's very Mm -hmm. character-driven. Let's talk about who we think the major characters are for each. Jackie's going to give hers on the book. Uh, In the book, it's Rob Fleming again. Rob Fleming, not Rob Gordon. I didn't even catch on to that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. In the movie, he's Rob Gordon. In the book, he's Rob Fleming. So that's one of my questions. Mm -hmm. I, Dick and Barry in the music shop. Laura, obviously. (laughs) Dick and Barry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. That's like, that's the middle schooler in me coming out. (laughs) Dick and Barry's. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, good. That's good. Uh, Marie and Laura and Liz to a degree in the book because she just kind of like shows up at certain points, but yeah, she's a lot more present in the movie. I think. Yeah, I yeah I agree. So in the movie, I'm gonna agree. Rob, I never caught his last name in the book or the movie, so Jackie caught that. Laura, obviously, his ex girlfriend slash current girlfriend whatever you want to call her uh barry dick liz who is laura's friend and kind of rob's friend too and marie who is the um singer songwriter that becomes a semi-love interest slash booty call i don't know it's randomly has an accent a non-american accent in the movie yeah i kind of caught on to that while i was watching it it seems like she tried to put on some kind of weird accent she's like this weird bohemian character i I don't know but she's supposed to be from yeah yeah texas anyway let's talk about that casting then so we got Rob yeah. Gordon in the movie, not <laughs> Fleming. Maybe Gordon's a more American name. Oh, Fleming like would be not, just though. fine. I think I've known some people yeah. with the last name Fleming. Yeah, so the book, I don't know if we stated this yet, but the book takes place in England and the movie takes place in Chicago. Dumb. You couldn't get further apart. Yeah. Anyway, so Rob Gordon is played by John Cusack. Barry is played by Jack Black. Dick is Todd Luiso. Sure. Laura, I don't even know how to pronounce this name. Uh, yeah. Eben Hele. She's Danish, apparently. Hele? I think. It's very Viking. Hele? Laura is a blonde. Okay. I'm, I'm Marie is played by Lisa Bonet. So, yeah. uh, Jason Mamoa's wife slash ex-wife slash wife again right liz is played by joan cusack aka john cusack's sister love her then i added ian who's played by tim robbins and the reason i put him is because he's not a huge character he is kind of integral to the plot or story or whatever you want to call this 
bullshit. Um, but I think it's hilarious when Tim Robbins and John Malkovich is another one that does this, where they are very serious actors, right? Mm-hmm. They have done some very, very groundbreaking uh, work out there. But they also love to do these silly cameos. So Tim Robbins plays Ian, who's the most ridiculous character in the story. Uh, so I, I was all for it. And then we have Charlie, and she's not a major character. She's sort of big in Rob's history, et cetera. So he talks about her a lot. But in the book, she is a sort of hip, uh, blonde, little Brit thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the movie, they cast her as uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is nothing like what they compare in the book. I think though, it doesn't matter because the way the character is portrayed, it comes across. It's just when I started to read the book and they're describing her as like very tiny, very, you know, loud and rambunctious and like this short blonde, uh, platinum blonde hair. I was like, that's not Catherine Zeta Jones, but either way, I would say John Cusack was fine yeah. for it. Uh, I, I think he pulled it off cause we just hated him and he did it. So, I mean, are you saying that was you, the point? You hate John Cusack? Uh, I hate the character. John Cusack, I'm indifferent. Okay. Joan Cusack, though, I love her. I don't care what she's in. She's always going to be amazing. So I love her as Have Liz. you seen Gross Point Blank? I f- probably, like a long time ago. I love that movie. Mm, I, yeah. I mean, John Cusack's fine. He's fine. I've seen him on other stuff. He's fine. Joan Cusack, love her. She can do no wrong in my book. Uh, Jack Black as Barry, I think is, we said in the beginning, probably the best casting. He is, mm-hmm. when you're reading the book, even if you never saw the movie, that is exactly who you would visualize. Jack yeah, Black. that character in the book constantly jumps down people's throats, like yells at them for not liking the right things or not knowing the right things. And he is in your face and... So totally 11 out of 10. Yeah, and just ridiculous the whole time. And then uh, the way that Jack Black is with music and the singing and bursting out in song, like that is the character. So mm-hmm. definitely there. I don't know who Todd Luizzo is. I feel like I've seen him in other stuff, but he he plays a good dick. Dick is just a quiet, subdued, scared character. So whatever, yeah. it's fine. And then the Eben Viking girl as Laura. Um, sure. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, Laura is such a blah character. I hate her as much as I hate Rob. Well, one thing I noticed when I was watching the movie is that when her mom calls and leaves a message on the machine, and Rob is listening to the message, her mom has an accent because I know that she's Danish, and you couldn't. You could tell that there was some accent, mm-hmm. non-American accent, slipping out. At times. Uh, and I don't know if they cast the mom and had her speak that way just because of that. Yeah, I feel like I... they tried to make the her family foreign. Mm-hmm. As she was foreign-ish. But it wasn't just in your face. It was yeah. I, I got the same thing there. And then Marie, the hipster, bohemian, whatever, singer-songwriter. Yeah, that's, that is what she is, I guess. Mm-hmm. She played. Fine. I actually didn't have any issues with her character or her acting in it. Um, it was like ugh. that's what I would expect in like a grungy uh, bar singing stupid covers and like selling their records at the front of the bar. Like, right? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, she she fits it. Just feel like she can't do anything else. Sorry, Lisa Bonet, but not really. All right, let's get into the plot here. Um, starting in the beginning, the first major departure is the fact that in the movie, we are brought to Chicago, but the book takes place in England. Is it in London? I, I It's in London, yeah. Okay, because I know he's like talking about all these other little cities and towns and whatever well, they call lot, them there. A lot of it, they're just talking about different neighborhoods of London, different areas in London. So, but it's oh, all, so it's, it's all in London. Yeah. Oh, they're like suburbs of London or something. That or it's just different areas in London because I know like people, if they're from Kensington, they'd say Kensington, but Kensington is actually in London. So it's a huge city oh broken God. up into different boroughs, I guess. Oh, like in New York? Yeah. I mean, I can get behind boroughs. I understand that. Okay. Let's think of them as boroughs then. Okay. All right. I'm still confused. I don't know enough about this country or their cities at all. I mean, Pittsburgh's the same way. In Pittsburgh, I technically fell under Pittsburgh, but I was in the suburbs. And then downtown, you have places like Squirrel Hill and Shadyside. That's all the city of Pittsburgh, but it's different neighborhoods. Got it. So London. It's in London. We go from London in the book to Chicago, which I don't think I hate. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand it. But I guess... Uh, did they want to make the movie more appealing to a wider a wider audience? I guess. I mean, it's not the first uh, adaptation of one of his books that goes from being set in London to the United States because Fe- Fever Pitch is another one of his books and that oh, takes yeah. place in Boston here. But they did do a, a, an adaptation over there that does take place in London earlier than the one that, that they did here with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that about a boy, but that's with Hugh Grant that actually does take place in London. You know what? And I got confused about about a boy because I thought I knew that, but I really I was referencing in my mind um, a boy's life. Oh, Is yeah, that the one with like Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, totally off topic tangent, but that's I. Every time I saw a, a boy's or what is it called, a boy's life? I I don't no. know. Whatever, whatever. Every time I saw that, I was like, oh, that's the same author. And then I realized um, on my own that I'm an idiot and they're not, they're not the same story. <laughs> okay. We're way off topic. Okay. So London to Chicago. I, I didn't hate that. Uh, I did watch the movie first. So it took me a few pages to realize that he was talking about London. Mm-hmm. Cause at first I was like, this sounds weird. Who talks like this in Chicago? <laughs> and what, I did, this sounds and then he said, like, any London neighborhood. And I'm like, why is he comparing Chicago to London? <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, shit, this story is in London. So, again, on my own, I realized that I'm an idiot. I don't think you're an idiot. It's all right. But it just, it took, I think it took me way longer than it should have to realize that that was what was going on. Well, isn't this um, one of the points of, of the podcast to figure out if reading the book first or watching the movie first can throw you off and... It did throw me off. Watching the movie first, I was like, okay, here we go. John Cusack in Chicago um, or like any major U.S. city. I think you could could have done it anywhere. Like mm-hmm. New York, uh, like it would have been the same. Uh, so it starts. I'm like, oh, why is it London? Why is he talking like this? I'm like, oh, oh, he's British. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, I'm there. And then once I snapped out of it, um, from there on out, I feel like they took everything from the book and translated it verbatim into the adaptation they did it 
And here's the thing. We spend a lot of our time during this podcast, like griefing them for making changes. And I found myself griefing them because there were no changes. Yeah. After I got over it being in a different country, I was like, this is exactly the same. Like, what is, what's the difference? This, there's no change here. And I was like, maybe that, oh, okay, well. I mean, there, <laughs> I was, I, it was, it was almost a literal translation of the book to the movie. They did do some things a little bit out of order from the book to the movie, but yeah, it, it was mostly all there. Yeah. And I think, uh, it may be slightly out of order, but I feel like chronologically it, it, it flowed the same way again I think we both just agreed that this is not a plot driven story. It's a character driven story. Mm -hmm. So the milestones within the story are set sort of in stone. It's just how the character navigates them. And I think that was the part I was griefing about was there definitely is a difference when you're reading it and when you're watching it. And there are some parts where I go, this made more sense on screen than it does in the book. But then there's some where I got a bit more emotion from the book than the the movie. And I don't mean emotion like sobbing or anything. I, I mean like just if he's if he actually is being sarcastic about something or if he is um, being like his dickish self that he is or if he's self-loathing. I feel like sometimes in the book it, it came across a, a bit more deeper or a bit more clearer where in the movie maybe I was just distracted by John Cusack some of it just fell flat. But then there are other things that fell flat in the book, which let's get into that. Um, first thing I would note is, okay, we have, we're introduced to Rob, a uh, different last name from book to movie. I don't remember which is which, but Jackie does. So it's anyway. Fleming and Fleming, book, Gordon and... Gordon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Gordon. Um, so we're immediately in the beginning where he's super pissed off and... His girlfriend is leaving him. They're in the apartment or flat, we should call it. And he's having this conversation, but it's more like breaking the fourth wall. He's having a conversation with himself and us than he is with Laura, his now walking out the door girlfriend. Um, and he starts going into this diatribe about the, the his list. That's the first time we're introduced. Like my top five heartbreak list or whatever, girlfriends that broke his heart. I personally feel that in the book... It didn't feel as rageful as it's portrayed in the movie. Well, because you actually see it happen in the movie. In the book, he's just talking about it after the fact. Okay. Yeah, because even when he's like, hey, do you want to like maybe spend the night? You want to stay? You don't have to leave right now. It just sounded a bit, it felt, I should say, it felt a bit more, I don't, I don't know how to describe this. I feel like I felt for him during that scene in the book where I was like, oh, this is, hard i feel bad for him she's walking out and you don't really know why like maybe she's a bitch who knows we're in the movie i'm watching him like you're kind of an asshole <laughs> like i'm happy she's leaving yeah i don't know what do you think about that uh i don't know i mean with the book versus the movie i after reading the book because i'd seen the movie before but i'd never read the book and now reading the book i kind of appreciated the descriptions from his own inner monologue or him talking to us, the reader, mm. I felt a little bit more feeling at the risk of yeah. sounding redundant than I did watching the events play out in the movie. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Okay. So Jackie and I seem to be on the same page where in the book, you, your connection to 
the breakup is a bit more substantial than it is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that I liked him in the first part. I'm not there. I don't think there's ever a part in the book, book or movie. I, do you hear I made a new word there? The mook? <laughs> the mook. The mook. The mook. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I felt for him in a way where I liked him, that I was ever team Rob. But I can definitely say in the book, I was like, oh, this this sucks, you know, breaking up, it sucks. And obviously there's more to this story, but you still feel kind of bad for him. You feel like he's not being as rageful. Like in the movie, he's screaming out the window and telling her to go fuck herself. I mean, he doesn't really say that, but he's basically says like, um, if you really wanted to break my heart, you should have got to me sooner. Yeah. Which was like also like a dick thing to say. So then he goes into his um, five girlfriends and we, start to learn about them. First one being like sixth grade or something ridiculous. He dated her for six hours. Um, Allison, I think your name was. Mm -hmm. Then the second one was in high school. Penny, I think. I can't even remember. I I can't remember any of their names. It's so weird. Um, Anyway, so high school girl, he's, they're like 16, 17. So his, this is where I start to turn on Rob because now he's describing how, these other five women, or we should say girls, because some of the relationships he's really young, sort of destroyed him and broke him as a man. But you realize that the second girlfriend, he's like, you know what? She just never put out. Like I And I just wanted to touch her boobs. And if I couldn't touch her boobs, I was trying to put my hand up her skirt, and she didn't want that. And I'm just sitting here going, she's 16. Yeah. Like, she, what? And then he... He talks about they came home for the movie and he she goes to kiss him and he's like, What's the point, you prude? Or something stupid. Like yeah, and he that. doesn't realize that he was the asshole or arse arsehole. Yeah. 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 But uh, he's like yeah, until <laughs> much later when he's going through this existential crisis. Like, what is wrong yeah. with me? Yeah, well, t- <laughs> and we're gonna. I'm gonna pull out my soapbox for that discussion. So we have Penny or Peggy. I don't know. She's his second girlfriend, high school. He dumps her because he's horny and she's 16. Anyway, third one is the. I think it's end of high school, beginning of college, and this is the one where I just I could not remember if he talks about her in the movie, but I think he doesn't because I think he says he can't remember the fifth. But he's whoever it is is still above Laura. So I think they leave out this one girlfriend, and I have a feeling they left it out because there's some more to the story about this one that I guess they just didn't want to get to into the movie. So he's she is the friend or girlfriend of his best friend at that time. Yeah, yeah. And then he starts screwing her. And if you realize the way he's describing it, this is where I start to actually I'm like, okay, now we're on the downward steep slope of we're never getting back to a point where we feel for Rob because the way he describes it is he's not really attracted to her. He doesn't really like her. He doesn't really feel like he's going to go far with her, but just something about the, um, what do you call that? Uh, what do you call it when you want something and it's like restricted unattainable? Uh, yeah. There's something about the unattainable with her. It's like the, the that- forbidden fruit. Yes, forbidden. It's like the forbidden fruit. So that's when he goes in and they start messing around. Um, and then it comes out that he's doing that. And of course, his friend is pissed at him and is no longer his friend. And she decides to stay with her boyfriend. And well, then in, whole in the book, she actually breaks up with, with 
the boyfriend to be with him and then he just rob just loses interest because okay oh yeah that's yeah. right and yeah that's she right. ends so up she getting does. back together with him yeah so they that's right they do break up and then they are doing their thing together but realize that they didn't want it to not be a secret or at least he doesn't mm-hmm. so he loses interest yeah so she then goes back to the boyfriend but also their group of friends just totally turns on rob i mean rightfully so mm-hmm. he's is a dick um, then we get to Charlie, who's the big one. And Charlie is who he starts dating in college. And this is the woman or girl, whatever, that he believes completely destroyed his life. Mm-hmm. He feels like he didn't finish college. He has a shit job. He didn't mature emotionally because of her. And his his description of her is someone who's super wild and exotic and out of his league. So he is insecure in the relationship, but also he says he keeps questioning himself for why does she like me? Why should I like there's something wrong? There's something wrong, which is another thing. Hold on. Let me get my soapbox real quick. This is the thing with men. And I feel like women do it too. But when you are in a relationship with someone and you're so insecure because you feel like you're, you know, you're boxing out of your weight class um, that you essentially sabotage your own relationship. Because the way you go about it. Yeah. And that's essentially what he did. Yeah. So uh, he sabotaged it. We learn more from Charlie herself, like exactly what happened. And it's essentially that, like, she just, like, she had enough of it. She's like, dude, I like you. Like, I always stop making me, you know, convince you every day. So she moves on. And also remember, they're young. Mm-hmm. The these four women that we we're just describing are super young. So the fact that they broke up, with any of them, it's kind of like, why are you so hung up on this? Right. That's why I start to think he's a narcissist. Yeah. Uh, it's just anybody that he's going to be with, uh, they end up having to work so hard to convince him that he is worth being with that. He mm. ends up digging that hole bigger and bigger until he's just comfortable in there. And he honestly thinks that there's something wrong with him. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's not right in the head as a dude, but I don't know if this is like, typical for most dudes out there this is where i start to like climb a little bit higher on my soapbox because this story is supposed to be funny and sort of lighthearted. it's described as a comedy it's also described as a romance which i fucking call bullshit on <laughs> um because this this character is just not likable and i don't know if the author is is purposely trying to make him not likable or if he's just thinking well this is what a real dude is like and i go if that's what a real dude is like like please i don't i don't want them i don't want my daughter saying them either because this is awful Mm -hmm. so then we go to girlfriend five and this is the one that just takes the cake for me because they are acquaintances or friends. They they weren't romantic in any way. They're not even interested in each other, but they both have these, they find each other in the aftermath of two very bad breakups, Rob being Charlie and then her being uh, Peter or something. I don't yeah. know. Again, I don't remember the name. Um, so they just decide like, well, we could just be together. Yeah, be miserable together. Yeah, so they're essentially just like these... Um, roommates with benefits i guess but they're in a relationship but they're not like it's there's nothing substantial with this relationship they're just together so they don't have to be alone and she is clearly in a place where uh, emotionally traumatized from whatever happened i don't think it goes a lot into it but i think he is just i don't want to discredit his emotions from breaking up with charlie but i also think 
that he takes advantage of this situation with her. He's like, well, you know, I'm getting late every night and I have somebody. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he gets mad at her when she finds somebody. And the way it comes about is she's like, well, I found somebody. It's like, how dare you? It's like, well, we weren't like, we weren't planning on getting married. So, yeah, I found someone and I'm happy. And instead of being happy for her, he's again, just, well, what about me? He tries to say that it wasn't a relationship, but then he ended up turning it into a relationship in, in his head. So he is justified in being mad at her for leaving. Yeah, but I also don't even think he was attached to her in any way. It was more like it was just it was such the an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such an inconvenience for him that she's leaving. Yeah. And he and the thing is, is he is admitting all of this in the book. This is this is not information that we're just pulling out of our arses. This is what he is saying because when every time he breaks the fourth wall and he's talking to us as the audience, this is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Like he just said, "I just this is really inconvenient." I'm like what the fuck? Now he has to go out and find somebody to get laid by. Yeah, and that's yeah, too yeah. much work. Yeah. So okay, so we get over the five girlfriends, um, and we are now sort of living his life as a single yet still obsessed and attached to his ex girlfriend. He does have this moment where he's like, oh, there's all this stuff I can do. I'm free. I'm um, do whatever I want. Blah. I'm not tied down anymore. But he's still obsessing over her every time she calls to talk to him or asks to come pick up her stuff from the apartment slash flat. He turns it into like he's very I. OK, I'm going to sort of uh, hover over this line of abusive. I think he is a gaslighter. I think he's emotionally abusive. And I think he is, um, he should, he's manipulative with her because when they have conversations and he wants to, she's trying to just be cordial. You know, she doesn't want to get into these big blowouts because her, her stance is that it just wasn't working out. And there's really no point of us continuing on with this. He always wants to dig deeper. He wants that fight. And there's even some parts in the story where he's like, I only brought it up because I know it would hurt her. And it did. So I like, good job, me. Well, in and, and the entire time, even with the five girlfriends and then all of his interactions with Laura after they break up, he is looking for pieces of evidence that absolve him of any responsibility yeah. with everything. Like even after he goes through and looks at those five relationships that hurt him so bad, he ultimately is only happy if it turns out that it was her that did something or somebody outside of his his own responsibility. Yeah, so let's get into this part now. So we're in the middle uh, of this story with him kind of obsessing over and his, his, their mutual friend Liz, who's played by Joan Cusack in the movie, she's talking to him and kind of saying like i'm not picking sides i just want to see how you're doing it would be nice if you guys could work this out because i'm not a fan of this guy ian and so now this just sets him off because he's like who the fuck is ian yeah and we find out long story short yeah he obsesses about it then we find out that it was their upstairs upstairs neighbor that he was always bitching about and we'll get into that in a little bit but understand that this is the part where the character marie I forget her last name. It's something in the French. book. It's Marie LaSalle. Yeah. And in the movie, it, it is still sounds Marie de Salle. De- yeah. Stupid. Anyway. So this is the character Marie that, that shows up. So in 
the book. She is an American uh, singer songwriter that comes over from Houston. So that's still her character in the movie that she's still American, but she's like this hipster bohemian, you know, she writes and sings her own songs and she does covers. So Barry and Dick, who he works with at the store, invite him out to see her. And he goes and automatically he's just in love with her. Mm -hmm. The three of them are in love with her. Fast forward through some series of events. Like she ends up in their music store and they start talking. They go out. That's not like dating. They're just talking. And then occasionally they, or eventually I should say they hook up. So he's doing this, pursuing this other woman sleeping with said other woman mind you it's like it's very shallow for both of them neither one is super attached to the other but also at the same time on the other side of this narcissistic coin he is enraged that laura has moved on and is possibly sleeping with another man yep he's allowed to do it she's not right well let's just recap right now he is fucking another woman while he is raging about the idea that Laura could possibly be sleeping with another man. (laughs) And when they do have a conversation, he forces her to basically admit or tell him, you know, are you sleeping? Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you doing it? She's, and I think she says something like, I'm I'm living with him, but we haven't done it yet. Yeah, she said, not yet. We've we've slept together, but we haven't made love or something stupid like that. Yeah, and I don't really. I, I so don't does that, that mean they just slept in the same bed, but didn't do anything? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird, and I kind of let it go because at the same time, you know, as a reader, you're like, what is the answer? What is the answer? But also as a human being, I go, that's none of his business. Mm-hmm. So whatever vague, obscure, convoluted way she wants to answer that question is totally her right. Yeah. I I would have, I personally, (laughs) this is Mel. I would have personally just said, go fuck yourself. It's none of your business. Also, as the Mel that I am, I probably would not ever have gotten myself in a situation where I'd even be having this conversation with Rob. Yeah. But that's just me. That's just me. So he's, he's, uh, you know, sleeping with uh, the Marie while he's raging about Laura. So things I want to talk about in the beginning though, which I kind of hate that they didn't introduce into the movie. Cause I felt like they would have been hilarious. So in the book, there's this character called drunk Johnny. Yeah. Where the way it's described this sort of day in day out, um, they call it a dance where Johnny comes in, he's drunk. He, complaining about something yelling about something and then rob escorts him out and the way they kind of like do this shuffle dance fight to get him out of the store but they do this every day um and then drunk johnny does have some really interesting and humorous interactions with other characters Mm -hmm. throughout the story and i just go that would have been so funny if they would have had that in the movie but they didn't and for how true to the book they stayed why did they cut that one out? I thought, though, I thought it would have been funny. Yeah, and, and it seems almost like when he has the first interaction with those teenagers that steal some of the records, which yeah, to to go into a record shop and steal a full size record, not not just one but multiple, like yeah, and get away with it. Obviously, the security there isn't that high. They actually have to be mm-hmm. seen doing something. But I feel like that one interaction with those teenagers was supposed to replace the drunk Johnny type stuff. But then yeah, I didn't like it. It also serves as a, I guess a, a beginning point of his dream to start a record label, which never makes an appearance in the book. Yeah. 
it, so that was that's why it was like I I okay so I feel like they wanted to end the movie making him a little bit more successful and grown up and developed as a character than he is in the book. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to introduce this plot point of, oh, he can like, you know, make these kids and just whatever. It, it doesn't happen. And I the, it it was a weak point to add into the story. It doesn't really add anything. Um, so I, I didn't like the kids part, but I, I just I I did really enjoy Drunk Johnny in the book. And I, and I would have preferred that. Yeah. You put in here, the Bruce Springsteen cameo. I actually forgot about that. I was like, Oh yeah, he was in there. I didn't understand it. It's yes. Rob in the book did think about Bruce Springsteen songs a lot. And I can kind of understand why, because Bruce Springsteen wrote songs for working class people and being on tough times and, and trying to get past them breakups, economic hard times, stuff like that. But then in the movie he just fantasizes having this conversation with Bruce Springsteen while he's sitting in a chair in the corner of his bedroom strumming on his guitar. Oh, what what mm. possible purpose did that serve? Yeah, it was silly. It was kind of that they're trying to bring in some yeah. comedic or some name recognition. I don't know. I can tell you right now, uh, I think that is the only reason my mom saw that movie. <laughs> Her mom does love some Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. yeah she's was, seen him I, like 36 times in concert or something crazy oh like that. Oh my god. Yeah. So I didn't understand it. I also didn't hate it when I did remember it because it's a movie. They're trying to like, uh, when they have silly cameos in movies, it, it doesn't really bother me too much. I just let it go. But yeah, I didn't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So that's like sort of the middle of the book where we just have Rob sort of floating along, you know, r- doubting his life. He's uh, having this fling with Marie um he's doing his day-to-day in the in the record store he's he, essentially he is like just a bum like he's just a loser and so actually a- that and that's something that i noticed not while i was watching the movie but after the fact after thinking about it is they make him seem a little bit more successful in the movie than he is in the book because in the book oh, yeah when, whenever he talks about the record store it's like the only day that people come in is on saturdays and yeah most people don't even buy anything but anytime they showed them in the record store in the movie it seemed like there was a crowd of people in there uh people listening and then that one time where he's like uh he makes a bet with uh i think dick about I, I bet you I could get five people to buy this EP and put yeah, the yeah, song yeah. on and people they look around people start like bobbing their heads and stuff like that. That that never happens in in the book. You think in the book that this place is about to go under. Like he is yeah, I mean, that's all he's talking yeah. about. And he's also talking about selling it. Um yeah. So he he is he is just a bum. Um also can we talk real quick? I, I almost forgot this. Because it doesn't happen in the movie, but it happens in the book. When he goes to that woman's house to buy those records mm-hmm. or to look at the records she has yeah. for sale. And we find out that she's selling all these really rare, classic, um, like, valuable. Yeah, very, very rare uh, singles by artists like Elvis and, and things mm-hmm. like Otis Redding is one of them. Yeah, so he something you get a lot of money for, but she's only asking for I think fifty pounds yeah. for all of it. Yeah. And he said something that's worth probably like over seven grand. Yeah. So it, it, we <laughs> she's doing this because her husband apparently ran off with some twenty year old. Yeah, one of her daughter's friends. 
Yeah, so they're he, they're in another country, and I guess it didn't work out. But he's trying to come home, and he doesn't have any money. So she he's asking for her to send him money, and she's like, "I'm not sending you shit." He's like, "Okay, then just sell my records and send me that money. That'll be enough." So she's like, "I will send you, I will send you the money I make for your records." But she doesn't let yeah, out that he, she's only going to sell them for he, fifty dollars. Yeah, he offers her a ten percent interest on it or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So, so she was, was going to send forty five like pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she's like, uh, she's got her own reasons, right? Mm-hmm. This dude is an asshole. He he cheated on her. He did it in a like really just terrible way with her daughter's friend. Like she has every right to be upset, and she's not even raging about it. She's just like, I'm gonna be absolutely petty, and I had no problem with that. Maybe it's because I'm a woman. Okay, we are two women reading this book that is written by a man. I I think for men. So this is the part where I was like, fuck this character. I hate him because. He decides, you know what? I'm not going to go in on this deal of a lifetime that could probably save my store because I don't like that she's, you know, back in the bus over this dude. Well, I think that it, the point of that was because at the beginning of the book, and I made a note about this later on as far as how the book ends up with him, but at the beginning of the book, he is very much of the mindset that you are what you like, not what you are like. So he is more willing to take this guy's side because he has such good taste in music. Obviously, this guy can't be a bad person because he likes these or he has this collection. And that's part of the reason why towards the end of the book, when Laura takes him to her friend's house and she lets him interact with them, he has a really good time. He said it was a great evening. And then Mm -hmm. she tells him to go look at, at their record collection and he's appalled by what he sees. Yeah, because it's like really yeah. trashy. Yeah, and and he even makes a comment to her. He's like, you totally set me up. You wanted me to learn that they were really likable people before you let me see their record collection because you knew if I saw that first, I would dislike them right off the bat. Which is just so idiotic, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. And the fact, and I'm just, I just, the adults in me could just could not get past this. And I think you're absolutely right. He is that where he's like, oh, this music guy can't be that bad. She's literally telling you that he is my husband. He cheated on me, ran off with our daughter's friend. So not only did he break her heart, it's probably really fucking awkward for their daughter. Mm -hmm. Lost like a father and a friend. And she's like, and all I'm doing is I'm going to sell his shit that he asked me to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to send the money I make off of it. So here you go. Yeah. And he won't. It could save his store. He won't because he's like, well, this guy can't be that. Fuck you, Rob. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. And this is all while he's fucking Marie trying to like make Laura feel bad about all of her life decisions while she's a lawyer. She's a successful lawyer now that was funding all of his stupid activities. And and she left because she's just done with him. Well, I also appreciate the the Liz scene because I think Joan Cusack did a really good job with that scene where she comes in and calls him a, a fucking asshole yeah, yeah at him and then then he divulges the information that liz told her to possibly all for the following which was right yeah so now we learn that there's there are reasons we're starting to learn why laura broke up with rob or walked out because she's still like not totally detached she she clearly cares about him but we find out that uh laura had gotten pregnant rob was not aware but then laura got an abortion because Rob uh, 
confessed or brought it up. I don't remember how it came up, like if he did it on his own volition or if, or if they were having a conversation about it. But he cheats <laughs> several times on her uh, with the same woman, mm-hmm. I believe, but mo- it wasn't Rosie. just a one-time deal. Rosie, yeah, yeah the simultaneous orgasm one. Yeah. Which they, was, how many times they brought that up? I was like, oh, was okay, got it. Arse. Yeah, he hated her. Yeah. Um, but cheat on her. Uh, so she decided to get an abortion from that. Then tells during later during a conversation informs him that yeah i had an abortion because they were talking about like starting a family or what they would do with kids so she breaks down he's like what's the matter well i had an abortion and then he has the audacity to be like how dare you that is my child (laughs) like "Ah." and then also he borrows a large sum of money from her like four or five thousand dollars something like that um and still has not paid it back yep so is that the four things that i missed something i think so yeah, that's it. Yeah. Abortion, cheated, money. Wait, what was the fourth? Is that fourth? That he barred and hadn't paid it back? Anyway, yeah. um, those are still pretty bad things, even if we didn't, if we forgot one. It, it, it's not going to make it any better or worse. He's still a scumbag. So this is where we move into, like, we first were like, oh, okay, Rob, this kind of sucks for you. Then we're like, no, fuck Rob. No, yeah. seriously, fuck him. We move now into starting to close up some of these uh, storylines with the characters. So uh, the big turning point in the plot is that Laura's father dies. Mm-hmm. And she calls him very upset. Or actually, I think in the book, he calls her. I forget. It doesn't matter. But either way, they're on the phone and she's very upset. And then it comes out that her dad died. Then she calls back at some point and says that he's invited to the funeral, which because uh, they had got really, he got along well with her parents. The dad didn't realize that they had broken up. So there's some sort of like the mother doesn't want the last part of um, the dad's being or whatever at the yeah, funeral. It was, to, it was almost, yeah. it was almost like she thought that he was watching and she didn't want to yeah. upset him. Yeah. 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 Which I, it, I don't think it's stupid at all. I mean, she's a grieving wife. Uh, and it, I, I don't think it's crazy. I think she's just like, I just want things to be nice and normal. And, you know, I don't want any more trauma on top of this. So I just want him to have a final uh, nice resting place or, or putting to rest. I get it. I, I don't think there's anything, no issues with that. So during this time, which is where I go from fuck this dude, like really angry to like absolutely loathing him because he's at the funeral and he is just an asshole. And I don't, he reminds me of like what you'd expect from like a teenage boy, mm-hmm. the stupid questions he's asking, the uh, just being really inconsiderate about certain things. It's like, you're at a funeral. Yeah. He's trying to make it about and- himself. Yes, the whole time. And even Liz calls him out on his bullshit. And then he gets upset at Liz and storms off like a fucking toddler Mm -hmm. at a funeral. Yep. And here's the thing. I'm going to let you in on something. Uh, When my grandmother died, maybe this is why I hated this scene so much. When my grandmother died, there was some drama in some immediate family relationships. Okay. And this person... I won't say names, but if my family's listening, they're going to know exactly who it is. This person at my grandmother's funeral was angry at one of my relatives, the one that they were romantically involved with, 
and they got into a little argument, but they made a scene, a huge scene, and then stormed off, made my relative like chase after them. And I'm just, all of us are sitting there going, are you fucking kidding me? Like out of all places, Mm -hmm. all places, it's at her wake. We're Catholic, so we're awake. Her body is in the room, right? She's like, <laughs> you couldn't, you, <laughs> really? Really? So when I'm reading this and he's acting, he's starting to like dig in on these things and he's arguing with Liz and then he's mad at Laura again and he's trying to get more information about her relationship with Ian. I'm fuming. I hated it so much. Well, even in the movie, when Laura's sister walks up, Joe, and he says, hi, Joe, she completely ignores him. And he takes the offense to that and stuff like that. It's like, uh, by the way, the, the four things were that he slept with somebody else while she was pregnant, that the affair mm. contributed directly to her terminating the pregnancy. Number three is that after the abortion, he borrowed a large sum of money. And has not mm-hmm. repaid her yet. And then number four was uh, shortly before she left, I told her I was unhappy in the relationship. Um, and I was yeah. kind of sort of maybe looking around for someone else. Yeah, which also he blames on her because he's like, she's a fucking lawyer. And, and she, she she tricked she, me into saying that. Yeah, yeah, to absolve herself because they were having some sort of mutual conversation about, yeah. you know, because they were not in a good place in their relationship. And they're talking about how, you know, I've fantasized about maybe finding somebody else. I mean, who, it's normal. Yeah. But he he's like, I guess however he said it mm-hmm. is probably what the issue with because he's describing how he's kind of a dick about what he said. And um, and also, I probably think it hurts more to hear from a partner that has already cheated on you to say that they're still looking for somebody else. Yeah. But I think it's a, it's a bit more real mm-hmm. than just somebody in normal stance saying, you know, what, yeah, maybe maybe this isn't working out. Mm hmm. So the funeral happens. Um, he storms off. And then at some point, Laura goes to find him because Laura's also not, she's not taking this death of her father very well. And understandably. And something happens that sets her off. So she leaves and she goes to find Rob. Now, I don't know if she, it's just convenient for her and she uses this as an excuse or if he contributes to her being that upset and her leaving to go find him because again going back to my funeral story having somebody leave to go chase after somebody from a funeral is just such a low standard of human being i think at that point but i don't know so she leaves she's driving around she finds him there's this sort of like funny scene where he dives over a fence and is like laying in the mud in the rain and somebody's flower bed yeah (laughs) yeah so she doesn't see him i should say uh but at this point i think i'm so infuriated that i didn't find it funny at all i just felt like god he's such a fucking child (laughs) while he's doing it so i'm just angry yeah uh anyway so she's i just thought he was really stupid because when he finally does stand up he thinks that she's long gone and the car's parked right outside yeah right by the fence and she's like i knew exactly where you were you know again it's fucking stupid yeah Uh, so he gets up he gets she's like getting the car so he gets in and they're they drive off somewhere and they're parked and she's talking to him um and then she says i will you have sex with me or something like that and he's like what 
Uh, and she goes, I just need to feel something else. She just wants an escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't even hate her for it. And she's comfortable with him. Now, this is what I don't remember if it happens in the movie. You know, the scene where they're about to like get it on and then he decides to go, well, were you using protection with Ray, Ian? Yeah, that does not, that does not happen in the movie. Yeah. And in fact, so in, yeah, in, in the book, it never ends up happening. They never actually end right. up hooking up. Whereas in the movie, they, they show do. them starting to and then cut to scene where he's now driving, I think, and they're pulling up yeah, to the fade house. To black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Because I think in the movie, this is where it's really the beginning and most of the middle of the story are like verbatim. It is they just word for word is uh, and uh, adapted into the movie but then all of a sudden the movie starts to depart where i think they're trying to make rob seem like a better dude than he is Mm -hmm. and they're trying to do this arc where he's changing he's developing he's growing and that they can save this relationship now so in the book how this scene plays out is he decides and just so you mind he doesn't actually care because remember, he is breaking the fourth wall and he is telling you all of his inner thoughts mm-hmm. and his motivations for everything. So he decides to ask her, like, well, you, I know you have admitted to sleeping with Ray. Have you, you know, used protection? And then he starts, like, he starts trying to internally justify him being this vindictive by saying, and this kind of shows the dating of this story because it's that nineties era where um, AIDS we're coming down. Big, AIDS and, yeah. yeah. And, but still understanding with the understanding that only like homosexual men are getting it. Cause he starts with, well, who knows? Like Ian could be bisexual like, mm-hmm. or he could be, you know, using uh like shooting up yeah so <laughs> so that he goes on like for a page and a half about that where he could be a bisexual or he could be using rates like i'm not totally out of my uh realm for asking this i'm just trying to be safe when he also is in the same breath admitted that he doesn't care he just wants to hurt her mm-hmm. so he asked if they use protection because he's like i just you know want to be safe so now she's like traumatized and she's upset and crying they don't they don't hook up uh, from there and they just go back. But I, what a scumbag. Yeah. He's a scumbag. I will just say, to hurt her. I will say this though. All, right. What happens right after that is they end up getting back together. And she ultimately says that she's too tired to fight it. And yeah. she doesn't want to put that much work in and she knows what he's like to be with. So it's the safe option. And he takes it. He takes it. No questions asked. He's like, sure. Yeah, let's do this. Sure. And then he hesitant about it too. Cause mind you remember he is like relentless throughout the whole story of pestering her. He almost, he's like calling their house and hanging up and he's hanging out. He's fucking, he's stalking her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just goes, you know what? I, uh, I just I can't I'm just exhausted mind you she's she's exhausted with work this Ian thing isn't working out for her um she's just her dad just died her family is on her about breaking up with Rob like it and I I hate no I hate to think that somebody is out there watching this or reading this story and and putting any sort of blame on her like well, she's wishy-washy or she's like, that's, that's all it takes. Like she, she caused him all this grief and she's just going to go back to him like that. You got to think about it. She is just defeated. Mm-hmm. 
And he jumps on it and takes advantage of it. And mind you, goes back into this hesitantly. And then starts to tell us again through the fourth wall that he's like, mm, I don't know. Is this, uh, I don't know if this is really what I want. This commitment. I'm just, I, at this point, I'm so fucking done with Rob that I'm like skimming through pages. I'm like on my phone while the movie's on and I go, fuck this dude. I don't care. Well, that and then Caroline makes an appearance in both the book and the movie different ways. In the book, she is interviewing him because Laura had set up that gig uh, to reopen that one club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. DJ, and then <clears throat> in the movie, she just shows up in the record shop. She's essentially a, a stalking fangirl. Yeah. So here, okay, here we go again. So Laura and him are back together. Laura is trying to set things up in his life for success. Wants him to do better. Uh, so Laura is is trying to help him. And he's still being an asshole, like just being a horny, unfaithful floozy. Because either way, this girl pops into his life and he's like, man, she's amazing. I love her. And, and like doesn't even know anything about her. Who wants to make her a mixtape now? And even Laura's like, who's that for? No, she's. Well, she knows. She, she knows yeah. that he's making it for somebody because she knows what yeah, it means. She's not even fighting. Yeah, she's not even fighting him on her. She's like, all right. But she has this little smirk like, on her face like. I know where this is going to go. Yeah. Like she's like, she's just so defeated. She doesn't even fucking care. She's like, Oh, you're going to cheat on me. Okay. Well, <laughs> cool. Fantastic. Let's take a quick little detour back in time right now. And just talk real quick about how we got to where we're at now with him as a character, because there is a point where he decides to, I'm going to find out what the problem was. And he wants to go back to that top five list of the women that broke his heart. And the f- funny one was Allison. Cause that was like sixth grade. Mm-hmm. He calls and the mom's like, I don't know who you are. She, yeah, she married her first boyfriend. Yeah. Which was the dude that he said she like cheated on him with mm-hmm. when they were in the sixth grade. So she married basically like her elementary sweetheart, mm-hmm. which is sweet. If you look at it, you go, that oh, was sweet, but he's angry. Mm-hmm. He's like, how dare she then? He finds out earlier on in the story after he breaks up with Penny or Peggy or whatever her name is, um, that she then sleeps with another guy in their school and he's just fucking hates her. He's like, oh, she doesn't sleep with me, but she's up then has a meeting with her, finds out that she's essentially she was essentially date raped. Mm-hmm. But it was only because she was like, she goes, Well, it wasn't really rape because I said okay, but it wasn't too far off. So she wasn't into it, but she was young and was just like, all right. And then just tells him that she hadn't slept with anyone in years because she hated sex. She was traumatized by it, rightfully so. Uh, But something that they do in the book, which really speaks more to Rob's character, is that each time he meets up with them, he's so critical of them and and judgy, where this one is she becomes like a a movie critic or an album critic, and she has a good job, is something she's doing, but he's making fun of the pen that she brings in the the theater. theater. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a pen with a little light on it. And I think Liz is the one that brings like calls him out on this and goes, Why it that makes sense. Yeah. She has to take notes during this where you're not, you know, you don't have a cell phone where you can take notes on where somebody would do it now. But she has a little pen that helps her see and make notes and not disturb everyone else in the theater. Yeah. And he's like, he's making fun of her. Yep. Then um Janet, Jackie, whichever the other one. He actually meets up with them 
And that is so critical because she does marry his, his former friend mm-hmm. and they have kids. And then he's critical of them saying how they're boring and they're just, they threw their lives away. They had kids. They don't, they don't do anything fun. They're and they're, they're just happy. Like they're a happy couple with their children living the life that they want to live. Yeah. And he's like, fuck these people. Then he finally gets in touch with Charlie and decides to say, you know, I don't know why I was that infatuated with her. She's just, really not that funny she's kind of self uh well he actually says it? in the book and the movie that she is an awful person yeah he's yeah. like judging her character yeah where she's just like uh, she's a snobbish like, i don't know pretentious. She's, like she's super pretentious, she's pretentious. Yeah. but i'm sure like in her circle of people she's just fine it's perfectly acceptable yeah and she's not, for- she didn't call him and force him to come over to dinner. Yeah. He called her and she's like, oh, hey, cool. I haven't talked to you in a while. Do you want to come over? And he's there just judging her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he goes under there under false pretenses because she asks him flat out, like, is this one of those, you know, you're having a thing. You're trying to wonder why we broke up. And he's like, no. Then he shows up and lures her into that. And she goes, I knew it. She says but that she's a lot. the awful person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, so she's the awful person. Yeah, and then finally, uh, it's Sarah is the other. Yeah, one, and, and he one. he walks away from that interaction, being like, "We'll really dodge a bullet with that one because she is crazy." I'm going this motherfucker. Yeah, wait, and and maybe okay, okay. Are we just like cynical old women now, Jackie? That we couldn't find the humor in any of this. I, I don't know. I think maybe it's we've experienced too much and we <laughs> we probably both dealt with guys like that. Dudes, man. Do better. Yeah. Do better. Yeah. Men, I hate you. No. <laughs> don't try to put everything on us. Yeah. Like, just take some responsibility. And I feel like he keeps like, oh, I'm 36. I'm 36. Dude, you got there yourself. Mm-hmm. At any point in time, you could have done better. But he doesn't. He does, however, come into the realization. I can't remember if it was just the book or just the movie or if it was both that he's been blaming Charlie for having dropped out of school because she ruined him so bad. Then he does come to the realization a little bit, at least that, you know, I can't blame this on her. This is my own Mm -hmm. fault. All right, let's uh, let's now talk about. um, So we're we're clear that we hate Rob. Mm -hmm. He is a scumbag. He is a twat. He is an arsehole. Mm-hmm. And he's a lowlife. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered it. All. We should have we should have asked five? Jules. Uh we should have got some good Brit yeah. terminology yeah. for him. Some good insults. We'll post it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get we'll tag him and we'll get some we'll get some good insults. Yeah. Again, but though I think in British English you can literally use any word in the right annotation and it's gonna sound like a insult. Like pissed. We were talking about that the other day. Yeah. Like isn't um doesn't Gordon Ramsay call people? He's like, yeah, you fucking cheeseburger. You know, like, he's, <laughs> he's like just calls it the weirdest shit. Yeah. You're like, yeah, they are a cheeseburger. Yep. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> dumpling wouldn't work because dumpling is kind of like a term of endearment, I guess. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is so, so off the chart and out of left field. It has nothing to do with loosely has nothing to do with what we're talking about in the book the word spunk comes up yeah. a few times and every single time I read it, I cackled. I really did cackle <laughs> and thought about Jules's story. Uh, the spunk story. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't tell it here because it's his story and I don't think we'd do it justice. Uh, so sorry, but it is a funny story because it comes into those, um, how American English and British English have some very, very different uses for words, you know, fag being mm-hmm. one of them because they use it as a cigarette. Uh, spunk is another one where we typically say spunk like, oh, you got some spunk in your step or, you know, like, uh, she's hyper, spunky, like yeah. spunky. Yeah. Like you got a lot of energy where in, in England, the only way they use that word is to describe a uh, semen. Yes. And that is it. So every time spunk comes up, I'm like, Okay, okay, okay. Oh, We're, let's get back on track. <laughs> Jules, that's for you for the the spunk. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> He's if he listens to us, he's gonna be like, oh, these fucking twats. Yeah. Um. All right, back, back. We're back on the road now. Let's close this out and talk about where we're at. So uh, he has this. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. Age. I don't even know because I want to feel I want to say it's like an epiphany, but I don't even think it's anything that serious. He just literally goes, I'm 36. I haven't done anything like maybe I should get married and should have kids. Like I can't be just keep going running from one to the other. It's just it's too much. He's just tired. Mm -hmm. So he's been sort of beat into submission, I guess, by himself. He just doesn't want to deal with getting together and breaking up anymore. Whatever. Not a good reason. So he calls Laura to have like a drink with him. And she sits down. And I think at this point she may be waiting for him to say, like, I cheated on you again. Mm-hmm. Because the way she sits down and starts like, all right, what is this? Well, because in the book and the movie, he's making that tape for Caroline. And yeah. it even in the book, I remember that he is set to meet her at this pub and then it goes into the next chapter and he's sitting there waiting for, he just says her and then she shows up and you think it's yeah, Caroline it's at first, but it's Laura. Yeah. yeah. That's too. I, that's why when they started talking, I was confused because I was expecting it to be Caroline mm-hmm. in the book, like when he's describing it. Yeah. So Laura shows up and she's like, what, what is this? You know, she's ready for it. She's not even upset. And then he, he, in a roundabout way, essentially asked her to marry him, mm-hmm. but not like, will you marry me? It was kind it's of, kind it was of like, kind oh. of in a way like, Oh, what do you got going on on Saturday? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, should we do it? Yeah. Should we just do it? She's like, what do like, you, did you just ask me to marry you? Yeah. Uh, she, goes, she starts laughing. Yeah. She goes, what? No. Like what, what makes you think? She's like, you were literally just making a mixtape for your new boo. And now you want me to marry you? Like, go fuck yourself. Um, and then he, I think in the movie, the the little monologue that they give him is a bit more romantic. Not romantic in the, like, mushy sense, but in the more I'm having a self-actualization, realization, whatever moment. Yeah. But in the book, it's really just, I no, it's like, I, I just don't want to not be with you. And I don't, I don't want to think about he's just it's selfish it's a very like and she's like oh yeah totally now that you said that i i absolutely yes like she's you know blowing smoke up his ass yeah he's he's afraid to die alone so so here's the part with jackie i did you catch it does she say yes in the movie i don't think she did 
Yeah. Okay. So in both, she essentially goes, well, thank you for asking. Yeah. And then it's, that's there. So it's not a yes, it's not a no, but I think it's supposed to signify the the next step or level in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And we're all just supposed to be like, yay. I was not yay. <laughs> I was like, just fucking run, mm-hmm. run away. Don't go back to Ian, but just run. Nevertheless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop. But she's like, oh, thanks for asking. Um, and then it closes out with this scene where Laura sets up a gig for him to go back to DJing because he liked it. That's how they met, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's romantic. Barry is supposed to play there with his band. Um, Jack Black, again, just kicks it out of the park. Uh, well, knocks it out of the park, you should say. And in the book, the Barry does the same thing. I mean, I could totally, I pictured Jack Black the whole time it was happening. Mm-hmm. So that happens. Um, there's not this record release for the stupid punk kids that never happens. Um, and then it's just in the book how it ends. And this is why I, th- I said the book just ended for me. And I was like, okay, because he plays the Solomon Burke song that kind of got them together in the first place that she liked. And then he plays it. She smiles. Everyone's happy. Next page book over. Mm-hmm. I forget how it's, I think it ends very similarly in the movie. In the movie, they show them cuddling while Jack Black's band is playing. They're in the yeah. audience. They're both coming to the realization. Holy shit. He's actually really good. And yeah. then it, that scene ends and then it cuts to him making a mixtape for Laura. He's, oh yeah. yeah, which is not in the it's not in the book like that. No. It just ends with like her smiling. Yeah. <sighs> so stupid because how what they did here is they ended it on a note where now you can can categorize this as a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Because we I'm giving you the lessons learned for uh, romance novels is it has to have a happy ending. But this is one of those where I go, I don't think this is happy. No, it's open-ended. I think this it's open-ended. It's also really shitty for her. If I were her, I don't think I would be happy. You're settling. And this is why I asked in the beginning, when did women set the bar so low? Yeah. That a fucking mixtape and a song at a stupid gig that you set up yourself makes you feel like he's a keeper. Yeah. Well, I think they tried to make him a little more uh, ambitious in the movie than they did in the book because the book, he just Mm. goes back to DJing. So he's 36 years old and he goes back to doing something that he was doing what in his twenties. Yeah. And in the, or I guess early thirties, Yeah, he met her early thirties. Yeah. yeah, But then in the movie, it's, actually does kind of show career progression by him starting a record label essentially yeah he does a little bit of the dj but he's also discovering these acts and putting out albums and stuff like that so it it insinuates or it it assumes that he's actually going to be successful at this yeah when in reality he's not yeah he's still going to have his moderate crises every once in a while where he has to rearrange his records He's probably already cheated on her like six times. Yep, yep, yep. Wonder how many abortions she's gotten this. 
Yeah, okay. So why don't we um, talk about her reviews then? I'll let you go first. <laughs> uh, so the movie, I'm going to give a 3 out of 10. Uh, the only redeeming factors are Joan Cusack, Tim Robbins, and Jack Black. So those are the three that they get for me. And that's it. That's my movie. And then the book, Jackie already read my review of the book. I gave it two out of five. I didn't give it a one because it, I actually never considered not finishing it. I, I It was a quick read. It was easy. For the most part, I, I enjoyed reading it, but I don't like the story and I don't like the characters. What you're saying is this book is going to end up in a box that you take to the local library to donate it because you don't want it taking up room on your shelf. I probably won't do that because I'm way too possessive of my books, but I will put it somewhere on a shelf where I could just glare at it every now and then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Speaking of Tim Robbins really quick, the one scene in the movie where the three of them, Barry, Dick, and, and Rob, beat him up. Mm-hmm. That was to replace his daydreams about different phone interactions with him. I'm kind of torn which one I like better. I like the way they did it in the movie with, um, yeah. just because it's Tim Robbins. It, it was mm-hmm. funny to me. It, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. In the movie, they also made him seem very uh, new agey, hippie. Yeah. Eccentric. Yeah. Eccentric. Okay. So my reviews, the book, I am going to say a three out of five. That's fair. There were too many lists. It was just like once you got through one list, you had to get into another one and then another one and another one. Mm, Okay. Then another one. Yeah. I skimmed so many lists. I think that's why I don't remember the names or because I was just like, ah, God, semicolon moving on. Well, and I understand that Nick Hornby music is a huge, huge part of his life. And that's why this this book was so music centered. But the amount of extremely obscure acts Mm -hmm. that were in there, it's really hard to relate to a character if you have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And I, uh, I also like some weird off the wall music. Jackie knows this from experience because when Russians, when I just let my playlist or my library just shuffle on random, you're, you're going to get anything from Disney movies to gangster rap to just some Hungarian hip hop band. Like it, it, you're going to get it all. So I, yes, I understand that and I appreciate it, but this one just took it a bit too far. This is one where you're having that conversation with someone and you're like, have you ever heard of this band? And I would be like, yes, I have heard of that band. Like, oh, you, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm done with this conversation. Yeah. It's really hard for me to stay engaged in a book or like I said, relate to a character if they're constantly mentioning these things that I feel like I need to pick up my phone and Google search to find out what they're talking about. Yeah. I don't have that much uh, care. I don't care. So three out of five for the book for me, Uh, the movie, a seven out of 10, not necessarily because the movie itself, but I am willing to forgive a lot when it comes to John Cusack. Um, except for serendipity. I think that was a an extreme lapse in judgment on his part. That was a terrible movie. Okay. So now we get to read, watch, or uh I'm gonna go with either or neither. I feel like you're not missing much. Maybe if you're like a young <laughs> dude, you can get something out of this, or an older dude. Maybe this would be like a uh a self-reflection, self-help type book. If you're a man in your mid to late 
thirties, early forties, and you're going, what's wrong with my life? This might, this might help. I think if you're a woman, I don't know what you get out of this. It's enjoyable, but you're not missing anything. It's not profound by any means. No. Uh, which goes along with kind of what I said. You can pass on both and not mm. be any worse off for it. Yeah. All right. What do we got next week? Bridget Jones's Diary. Bridget Jones's Diary. A modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Getting a little bit of extra Jane Austen in here. Yeah. Uh, like I did come book- to the realization that three out of my four books this month were set in in England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So Bridget Jones Diary. We're reading the book, watching the movie. Uh, and that closes, that will close out Jackie's birthday month. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. Until then. Bye. Bye.